it's a it's just a sad situation in Israel right now, and, and you know the, the the fact that the nation of Israel is God's chosen people, I, I know it breaks his heart. And so, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to just take a moment and pray for what's going on there, Father. We know that Israel is your people, and Father, we know that your heart is breaking over what's happening there, the violence and the evil that's being perpetrated against them. But Lord, we also know that you have a plan that you are the great provider and, and you will use all things to your glory. And Father, so we just ask that you would protect the nation of Israel, protect the people who are experiencing these horrible atrocities right now, these atrocities that are rooted in their belief in you, God, that they are being attacked because of their faith. And Father, we know that, that this is not shocking to us, that this is something that evil will always try to crush out your story. That, that evil and darkness will always gather around the light. But Father, we ask that you would pour out protection upon the nation of Israel. We ask that you would be with all of the people who are involved in this conflict, that, that you would uh, stand firm in their midst, Lord, because we know that the only solution to this is Jesus himself. And so Father, I ask that you open the eyes of everyone in that region to the truth of your son who protects and saves and so, God, we ask and stand with you in protection for your people, but also in conversion for those who would stand against them, who would attack. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, while you're standing, I'm going to uh, read from John 6.35 today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can take that out. But we're going to look at this verse in John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. You know, one of the things, you can have a seat. One of the things that I like to do when, when someone tells me they don't believe in God, I've shared this with you before, but I love to ask this question. My question is, can you tell me about the God that you don't believe in? But when you ask that question, it has to be asked with sincerity and, and, and uh, genuinely uh, asked. And here's why I love starting a conversation about God that way, because it reveals the person's narrative about God. Once you ask that question, that person is going to begin to tell you not who God is or why they don't believe in him, but they're going to begin to tell you their narrative around God. And for better or worse, we all have a narrative. As human beings, every one of us has a narrative about life, about God, about ourselves, about relationships, about the world. And we do that because we integrate our experiences, all the things that we learn and what we see and hear into our story. Unfortunately, we generally shape our experiences through our narratives instead of letting our narratives or excuse me, instead of letting our experiences shape our narrative. What I mean by that is we all have a perception of view of the world, then we experience things, we see things, and we let those things be shaped, not by reality, but by our current narrative. So let me give you a really brief, simple example. My narrative, I believe that the St. Louis Blues are the best team in the NHL. But... Last year, they finished out of the playoffs. They finished 28 points out of first place. Now, here's the thing. My narrative about the Blues is shaped by my experience of the 2019 Stanley Cup victory. 
It was incredible to be in St. Louis while that team made that run to the Stanley Cup. Now, for people like Brian that are Leafs fans, the Stanley Cup is a large silver trophy. It's named after a man named Lord Stanley. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, you get, Leafs fans know what the Stanley Cup is. If you were alive when Lester B. Pearson was Prime Minister of Canada. I'm sorry, that was, that was just too easy. Sorry. But think about it. In the big picture, hockey really doesn't matter much. Said no one in Canada ever. But it really doesn't matter much. But here's the thing. What happens when I have a distorted narrative around things that really matter, things like morality or sin or marriage or truth, or maybe even the most important thing, God, what happens when my narrative around those things is distorted and twisted? Well, it becomes a problem because now I'm living a distorted and twisted life. So my question can you tell me about the God that you don't believe in, gets to the narrative of the person I'm speaking with. It gets to their story of who God is. French painter Henri Rousseau saw the problem this way, and he said this, God created man in his image, and man being a gentleman returned the favor. That's where the problem lies. Our narratives of God have been twisted by our own experience. And most atheists that have denied God have not denied God. They've denied the God of their own creation. They don't deny the God of the Bible. They deny the God of their own creation and then call that God that they've denied the God of the Bible because the narrative is the problem. Their God is a product of their narrative about God. And that's been shaped by experiences experiences of being a fallen person in a fallen world. Some traumatic, some horrific, most just typical of living outside of a relationship with God, which means that none of us has a full and perfect narrative of God. The wise response to this reality then is to get to know God as he says he is, not as I say he is. And to do that, we have to humble ourselves so that my narrative of God can actually be shaped by who God is instead of God being shaped by my narrative. That is why we're launching this sermon series called Seven. We're gonna look at the seven I am statements of Jesus that are in the Gospel of John. Because each of Jesus' I am statements reveals something about God that helps us rightly relate to him. And so my prayer is that as a result, we would all have a more realistic and clear narrative about who God is. That our narrative of God would actually become the same narrative of God that Jesus himself had which leads us to loving God more passionately. When you encounter God as he is, it is impossible not to love him. And so that leads us to a place when as we walk through this series, I need you to keep one thing in mind, the, the, what Jesus said in John 14, 9, when he said that he has, he, anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. 
Jesus is saying in that verse that to look upon him is to look upon the Father. And so we must keep that in mind as Jesus is revealing God to us through his very person, through these I am statements so that we can relate rightly to God. Now, when we look at this, this, this phrase, I am, when we look at what that phrase meant, we have to understand it through the ears of the Jewish hearers of Jesus. They are the ones who heard Jesus say, I am. And for us to understand how they heard that phrase, we need to visit back to Exodus 3 just for a moment. So in Exodus 3, Moses is on, on the mountain. He encounters a burning bush. He speaks with God. And God tells him to go to the people of Israel and lead them out of captivity. Well, Moses, being like the rest of us, is trying to find a way out of doing that. So he says to God, well, when I go, who should I say sent me? Listen to this answer from God in verse 14 of Exodus 3. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. The word there is the Hebrew word, verb for being, for existing. And it gives us the word Yahweh that we now use as the name of God. So every time Jesus said, I am, his Jewish hearers would have heard him say that he was God. They would have seen that as a claim of divinity from Jesus, as him standing up and saying, I am God which is exactly what he was doing. But see, here's the problem. God is infinite. He's beyond our human ability to grasp him unless, unless he comes to us as a person. And so remember Matthew 1.23, where it says this, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God with us so that we can know and relate to God. And by using the phrase, I am, Jesus is saying, you can only relate to God the Father through me. That's the only way. And so from a practical standpoint, what that means is this. The God of the universe, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, perfect, holy, just, and merciful, is revealing himself to us in human terms through Jesus so that this same God can enter into every experience of our lives. And so every I am statement of Jesus is Jesus saying God desires to be with you in all things and to be in your life as your constant companion. So that's the framework that we need to understand as we approach these seven I am statements. I put it briefly, I'm gonna say it this way. The I am statements of Jesus reveal to us that God wants to be invited into every part of our lives and he wants to care for us there. And so when we look back at John 6, 35, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is telling us that God is concerned with and invested in our daily needs. The needs that he himself created us to have. 
So now where we get with this statement of I am the bread of life is this. God created you to have needs and he himself wants to fulfill them. I am the bread of life addresses our recurring daily needs. Life in the kingdom of God is a life with God who is active and engaged in our most common needs. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, there's times in your life where you feel like that's the last place God's concerned about, where you feel like that's your realm and you must deal with it. The problem with that belief is this. It keeps me from ever fully relying on God because I begin to rely on myself in the daily needs, in what I call the small things, when the reality is I am the bread of life is a statement from God saying, I want to be involved in your recurring daily needs. And so I am the bread of life to the Jews would have reminded them of Exodus 16, if you remember that story, where God gave the Jews manna from heaven when they were starving in the wilderness. And that bread sustained them. So Jesus saying, I am the bread of life would have brought that event that narrative, that story immediately back to the mind of every Jewish listener and they would have recognized the manna in the wilderness as a sign from God. Now here's the thing. A sign is a miracle that points to a person. The manna was a sign that pointed to the person who was to come. The one who showed up 1,400 years later as the only one who would nourish the soul, not just the body, Jesus. So the manna from heaven was God's way of saying, I want to nourish you. I will provide for you. But don't forget, it's not a miracle, it's a sign. And as a sign, it points to the one who will come, who will nourish your soul in the same way this bread nourishes your body. So listen to this in Deuteronomy 8.3, talking about the manna. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And now think about that verse in the context of John 1 where we're told Jesus is the word of God. Now look at John 6, 30. It says this, so that they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, listen to this, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the manna was never about manna. The manna was about a sign pointing to a man, Jesus, who would show up 1,400 years later. So we go down and look at verse 51 in John 6. Jesus says it more plainly. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
So what we have is the manna as a sign from God to teach Israel that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And remember, a sign is a miracle that points to a person. That person is Jesus, who is the word of God, the bread of life, he who comes down from heaven. Now, you have to catch this. When Jesus said he was the bread of life, he used a Greek word, zoe, for life. That word is usually used in reference to spiritual life. And it describes a spiritual life given and sustained by God. As opposed to the word bios, which is generally used to convey the idea of being physically alive. So what we have in verse 51 is Jesus is speaking about way more than merely being alive here. He's not talking about the ability to walk and move and breathe. He's speaking about spiritual life. He is the bread that gives and sustains spiritual life. And so finally, he brings this idea of him being the bread of life to completion in verses 54 through 58. Listen to this. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now here's what we get. In that, clearly, Jesus is alluding to the Lord's Supper. It's our regular act of prioritizing life in Christ, that Zoe life above life in this world, that bios life. Now there's two things that all of this comes down to, two things that we have to understand about this. Those two things are this. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he is revealing to us these two things about God. First, just as God provided the manna to sustain life for Israel in the wilderness, that bios life that needs nourishment for the physical body, he has provided Jesus to sustain our souls in this wilderness called the world. He's provided Jesus to nourish the life of our souls, that Zoe life, the life that is eternal, the life that is the soul that never dies. Now here's the second thing, and this is the one that we have to deal with today. By saying in reference to himself in John 6, 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. By saying that, here's what's happening. Jesus is actually elevating the life of the spirit, that Zoe life, above the life of the body, the bios life. And he's inviting all of us to do the same thing to elevate the life of our soul above the life of our flesh. 
And so here's my question for you. Are you more prone to lie awake over the state of your physical life, your bios life, or over the state of your spiritual life, your Zoe life? Do you worry more about the nourishment of your body than the nourishment of your soul? See, I think most of us, if we're honest, We'd say that we have more sleepless nights over things like weight loss and physical health and retirement and finances and work issues than we have over the state of our soul. And if we're going to let our narrative of God become Jesus's narrative of God, then we have to flip our life priorities. We have to see the spiritual life as more important than our physical life. We have to see the spiritual life as ultimately important. That's the narrative of Jesus as a human being with the same human struggles and the same aches and the same pains and temptations that we all face. His narrative about bread is this. It's more important to let your soul feast on his abiding presence than it is to let your body feast on the choicest foods. The simple narrative of Jesus is that the life of your soul needs nourishment in him, even more than the life of your body needs nourishment in food. This is what allowed Jesus to say with integrity in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? These words are not some self-help tactic or some positive thinking strategy, and they're not a call to willpower. These words are the very nature of reality that when we put our spiritual life as the priority, even over our physical life, we can live a life that doesn't have anxiety in it, that doesn't have worry in it, that doesn't go through the world sleeping when we should be wide awake and wide awake when we should be sleeping, that doesn't stay up at night worried about the things of this world. See, this reality is true reality because of the first truth of God that is revealed by Jesus saying he is the bread of life. And that truth is this. That truth is that the name of God is Yahweh Yira, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jesus trusted in that to the deepest place of his being, so much so, that it allowed him to say, I don't even have to worry about food or clothing. What I need to do is concern myself with my soul being nourished by God, even above all these other things. Now those words, that name for God, Yahweh Yira, the literal literal translation of that is the God who sees. The God who sees what? The God who sees your needs. That's what he sees. 
just as he saw the needs of Israel in the wilderness, just as he sees the need of all humanity to be saved from sin and corruption. And because God is good and God sees, he provides. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he's saying is if you will align your priorities with the most important thing, which is the state of your eternal soul, I will feed it. But if you become focused on the lesser things, simply how will I sustain my life, this physical life? You're moving in the wrong direction. Because here's the thing, I am the bread of life reveals that God provides both for our physical life and our spiritual life. And because he is the one who provides for our physical life, we are free to make our spiritual life our primary concern. We're free to focus on our souls abiding in Christ only. See, this is a a very simple concept that Jesus reveals in his statement, I am the bread of life. Extremely simple, but not very easy. Because we get distracted. We get caught in the things of this world. We get overwhelmed by the concerns for our physical well-being, for our comfort, for our health, for our retirement. We get wrapped up in trying to avoid pain in this lifetime. And we do things that don't serve our soul to avoid those things. The invitation of I am the bread of life is to recognize that God provides and that my soul matters more than my body. That is the invitation that Jesus offers in Matthew 6, or John 6, 35. It's an invitation to live into what is most real and most true, and that is that the kingdom of God is here now, and God provides for all of our needs in it. But we have to align our priorities with the kingdom of God, and we do that by placing our Zoe life, our spiritual life, as the top priority in our lives. We do that by becoming people who say, if my body must suffer for my soul to thrive, I will accept that. We begin to realize that everything is grace. The meal that's before me that nourishes my body is a grace of God and I'll praise him for it. The healing that comes in a sickness from a doctor is a grace of God and I'll praise him for it. But we also become people who can look at those things and say, even if not, Even if not, even if not, Lord, even if not, when it comes to food or healing or wellness or finances, even if not, my soul will still praise you. And when we start to live that way, we become less anxious we become less worried, we become less overwhelmed by the lack in our lives, and we're more overwhelmed by God's provision. Not simply his physical provision, but his spiritual provision. And so over the next seven weeks, here's what I wanna do. I wanna invite you into making prayer a priority because that is the communication medium of the kingdom of God. You look around our world, look at all the different ways we have to communicate. Text message, video message, Marco Polo, WhatsApp, Google Chat, Facebook Messenger, 
and for us older folks, a phone call. There's so many ways we have to communicate in this world. There is one way to communicate in the kingdom of God, and that is prayer. That is the only medium of communication in the kingdom of God. And one of the ways that we honor that communication medium is on Wednesday nights behind the stage in our prayer room at 6.30 for a time of corporate prayer. Over these next seven weeks, I want to invite you to come to that. As we walk through prayer as a lifestyle because of who Jesus is, who he reveals God to be in these I am statements, I want to invite you to come on Wednesday night at 6.30. But then I also want to invite you to take some time and tend to your own personal prayer life over these next seven weeks. And so each week, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce a specific type of prayer that's rooted in the I am statement of Jesus. And I hope that prayer will not only be something you practice on Wednesday night corporately, but it'll become a private daily practice in your life. And so knowing that Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and that God is Yahweh Yireh, he's Jehovah Jireh, he's the provider, this week I want to invite you into praying for provision. Now, if you're like me, that's been a struggle, honestly. I don't know why, I don't know what my narrative is, how it got shaped, but there are times where I feel like God is less concerned about my provision and more concerned about my behavior, so why would I pray about my provision when my behavior's not good? But the reality of it is no. The reality of it is he wants to provide for me because he is the bread of life. And he wants to provide for me, not so I'll have comfort or not so life will be good as I define it, but so that I can free myself to be concerned about the issues of my soul rather than the issues of my body. And so I want to invite you into praying specifically and intentionally this week that God will provide and that he will meet you in every need, both spiritually and physically. Now, in order to do that, you have to humble yourself. And here's what I mean. All of us as human beings are created with limitations and we don't like to acknowledge that. But when I recognize that I am created as a finite human being with limitations, I have no choice but to go to God to provide for me. When I realize that I cannot, but he can. And so the intention of going to God and saying, I need you to provide, I cannot make this happen on my own, is an intention that will actually shift my narrative of God. Because as I go to him and say, Lord, I need you to provide, and he provides, my narrative becomes shaped into the place where I see him as Yahweh Yira. I see him as the God who sees, the God who provides. And so with the intention of your narrative of God becoming the same as Jesus's narrative, I want to invite you to actually live as if he is our provider. I'm not talking about name it, claim it, and, and you know, this poor theology that if I want it, God must want me to have it, so I'm just going to stand and name it, and it's going to manifest itself. I'm talking about acknowledging that you are a limited, finite being, and that you know that your spiritual need is greater than your physical need, and that God wants to provide that talking about going to what Hebrews 4.16 calls the throne of grace. 
in going there boldly in every need, both physical and spiritual. Let that be your prayer life this week, to go to God and say, God, I have needs. I'll ask you to provide. But behind that with a motivation that says, Lord, as you provide, as you care for my needs, I will focus on my soul in you. I will focus on my relationship with you. I will focus on my abiding in you and your abiding in me. And then what will happen is that oneness that John 17 talks about will actually become a lifestyle for us. Knowing that our needs are met by the God who provides, we'll begin to see our spiritual needs being realized by the God who we are in. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful that we can come to you with every need. And Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life, that you invite us into yourself. And in you, we have total provision, Lord. And I think about heaven. I think about heaven as the place where there's no need because you're there. And so God, as we get a glimpse of abiding in you so deeply on this earth that we get a taste of heaven. I just ask that you would open our eyes to see all the ways that you provide. And acknowledging that and recognizing that would be a call, a reminder to place our souls before you and seek that spiritual need, even above our physical needs. Amen.